In today's episode, we continue discussing the idea of propitiation. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Thank you for listening to Preach Impediments. We are excited to dig back into the word propitiation. I know if you listened to Tuesday's episode with Jeremy DeHutt, you absolutely enjoyed it. I think you grew from it. It was such a great discussion. And again, like always, we had to cut out so much of the the good information that was in it. Uh, But I'm excited to be able to be with you again and talk to you more about this concept. Jeremy defined propitiation as the appeasing of wrath, the doing away with the anger, the righteous anger of God in the case of how the term is used in scripture. For instance, in Romans chapter 3, 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 4, and several of the other passages we talked about, I looked up in various translations how this term is used in different English translations of the Bible. And I came across several interesting ways that it is discussed. We mentioned the mercy seat in Tuesday's podcast, but there's also the concept of atonement or bringing us back into oneness with God. The concept of appeasement that Jeremy talked about. It is translated sometimes as the atoning sacrifice, the taking the concept of sacrifice and atonement and putting them together. Uh, Other translations really spell it out and they call it the means by which our sins are forgiven. But I'm going to tell you my favorite, albeit not a translation of the word itself, but my favorite way to really think about the term propitiation is to use the word in between. Let me give you some examples. Abraham makes atonement for Sodom and Gomorrah. When the men come, who later are identified as angels, come to Abraham, he steps in between God and his wrath for Sodom and Gomorrah. And he bargains with God trying to save Sodom and Gomorrah because his nephew Lot lived there. Jeremy talked on Tuesday about Jacob sending gifts to appease his brother's wrath. And in that case, the gifts would be stepping in between Jacob and Esau in order to bring them back into a relationship. Moses steps in between God and the children of Israel on several instances, like when they made the golden calf there while Moses was up on the mount. Moses also steps in between God and his wrath toward Aaron and Miriam, his brother and sister. They were complaining about Moses being the chosen one. And why did Moses get to be the one to go into the presence of God? And God strikes Miriam with leprosy. And Aaron begs Moses to plead on her behalf. So in that case, Moses offers propitiation for them. He tries to calm down God's wrath on their behalf. The story of David and Jonathan and their friendship 
carries the concept of propitiation, where Jonathan steps in between his father's wrath and David. Saul wants David dead, and Jonathan steps in between that broken relationship, oftentimes in order to bring peace. Daniel puts himself at risk with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, when he has his dream in Daniel chapter 2, and none of his wise men can interpret the meaning of the dream, he promises to destroy them all. And Daniel, one of those wise men, puts himself at risk going before Nebuchadnezzar in order to appease his wrath toward his wise men by providing the interpretation of the dream. Another example of someone going in between would be Esther. Haman has devised this plan because of his wrath to have the king put all the Jews to death, and Esther puts herself at risk in order to stand between the king's law and her people who were at risk because of Haman's anger. Ultimately, you've got Jesus, who's the one who makes us right with God. And the word propitiation used in the New Testament almost always refers to Jesus and what he did on our behalf. But I do want to center in specifically on one story. It's found over in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and it is the story of David and Nabal. David is on the run from King Saul. He's at risk, but he has, while on the run, while exiled from his own people, has a following of men and soldiers who go with him. And he is, in a lot of ways, providing services to different areas of the kingdom without Saul knowing. I want to pick up in verse 4 of chapter 25, where it says, While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep, So David sent 10 young men instructing them, go up to Carmel, and when you come to Nabal, greet him in my name. Then say this, long life to you and peace to you and peace to your family and peace to all that is yours. I hear that you are shearing. When your shepherds were with us, we did not harass them and nothing of theirs was missing the whole time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men and they will tell you. So let my young men find favor with you, for we have come on a feast day. Please give us whatever you have on hand to your servants and to your son, David. Now notice the humility with which David approaches Nabal. He sends servant, not just a servant, but he sends 10 of his servants. So he's showing honor by sending a nice group of men to him. They are to treat him with respect to ask his permission, to show him that they have been offering services and to even give him evidence of that. And then even at the end, give what you have on hand to your servant and to your son, David. All a sign of humility. But Nabal responds rudely. He asked these men, who is David? Who is Jesse's son? Many slaves these days are running away from their masters. Am I supposed to take my bread, my water, and my meat that I have butchered from my shearers and give them to these men? I don't know where they are from. Notice in Nabal's response, he identifies he knows who David is because he calls him Jesse's son. But then he calls him a slave. He basically says, How do I know he's not just some runaway slave insulting David in response to David's humility? And then he 
obviously is unwilling to share the goods that he has, even though he's been receiving the benefits of David's services. He's just rude and ugly to David. Well, David gets angry. He tells his men, all of you, put on your swords. And about 400 men followed David, while 200 stay with the supplies. Do you see the way this story is going? David is taking 400 men with him to go and take care of Nabal's rudeness. Well, there's clearly a wrathful response that David has here. He has been insulted. He has not been appreciated. He's been treated with disregard and disrespect. So David is ready to go and take care of the problem. Abigail, who is Nabal's wife, decides that she is going to intercede. She's going to be the in-between between David and Nabal. She gathers together food, says she took 200 loaves of bread, two jars of wine, five butchered sheep, a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, put it all on donkeys, and heads out to meet David before David gets to her husband. And she basically pleads on Nabal's behalf. She says to David, The guilt is mine, my lord, but please let your servant speak to you directly. Listen to the words of your servant. My lord should pay no attention to this worthless fool Nabal, for he lives up to his name. His name means stupid, and stupidity is all he knows. I, your servant, didn't see my lord's young men whom you sent. Now, my lord, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, it is the Lord who kept you from participating in bloodshed and avenging yourself by your own hand. May your enemies and those who intend to harm my Lord be like Nabal. Let this gift your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive your servant's offense. For the Lord is certain to make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because he fights the Lord's battles. Throughout your life, may evil not be found in you. Wow, what an incredible, incredible response. And did you see just how capably she acts as a propitiation on Nabal's behalf? She is appeasing David's wrath through her words, through her gifts, and through her own humility. And she is recognizing that Nabal's faults are a problem, but she is pleading that David not destroy him because of them. That is exactly what Jesus does for us. I tell you, we are fools. We are Nabals when it comes to the law of God. We are the ones who act with stupidity. And Jesus steps in for us. Jesus steps in and pleads on our behalf. As we're told over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he is our advocate. He is arguing on our behalf. He is stepping in, even though God is rightly angry with us, he is stepping in and helping us in ways that we cannot help ourselves. And I love what David says in response to Abigail. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you to meet me today. 
May your discernment be blessed and may you be blessed. Today you kept me from participating in bloodshed and avenging myself by my own hand. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, who prevented me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, Nabal wouldn't have any males left by morning light. He accepted her gift, what she had brought to him, and he told her, Go home in peace. See, I have heard what you said and have granted your request. I can just imagine that being the response God has to Jesus. Obviously, God was not in any danger of doing some wrong thing, as David claims here. But that last statement there, go home in peace. I have heard what you said and granted your request. When Jesus becomes the in-between for us, when he steps between God's wrath and our guilt, God says to him, I have heard what you said and I have granted your request. It is such a wonderful thing to have a Lord who loves us so much that he's willing to do that. Now, the end of this story is interesting. Verse 37 says, In the morning when Nabal sobered up, his wife told him about these events. His heart died and he became a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal dead. I wonder sometimes what our response is to having Jesus act for us the way Abigail acted for Nabal. What is our response to knowing that we are so guilty and so stupid? Do we respond with the kind of pride that ended up killing Nabal? He was so embarrassed because of his pride that when he heard that his wife stepped in to help him, he turned to stone, not literally, but figuratively. He ended up dying because of his embarrassment. He was unwilling to humble himself enough to recognize his error and be willing to accept David's gift of forgiveness, David's gift of calmness. What about us? When we know that Jesus steps in to help us, when Jesus went to the cross for us while we were still enemies and while we were sinful, as it says over in Romans chapter 5, are we going to act like Nabal and reject that propitiation? Are we going to reject that atonement, that appeasement of God's wrath? Are we going to act like it, we didn't really need it or that Jesus didn't really have to do that for us? Are we going to be thankful and grateful and willing to change our lives in response to the great sacrifice of Jesus? Again, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, John tells us, I'm telling you about Jesus being the propitiation for our sin so that you will not sin, so that we'll stop sinning. The point of grace, the point of receiving this gift that we don't deserve is that it should change us entirely. It should cause us to want to live up to this new opportunity, this second chance that we have. Will we? Will we live up to that second chance? Or will we turn with hearts of stone toward a God who loves us and reject him? That's the choice we're really left with when it comes to the propitiation 
that is Jesus, our sacrifice, our Lord, and our Savior. Thank you again for tuning in to Preach Impediments, and I hope that this examination of the word propitiation has helped you. I hope it has given you pause to think about, are you living a life of appreciation, or are you living a life of selfishness? Don't be a Nabal, don't be stupid, don't be a fool. Be the one who is willing to come to God and truly appreciate what he has done for us. And I hope that you'll also continue to listen to Preach Impediment. We will have future episodes on other big words that we use when we talk about the Bible or that we find in the Bible. And we hope to really make those easy to understand and easy to apply to your life. If you enjoy the podcast, share it with others and even leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Until next time.